0: Oh no, so much of it is... Oh, Josie's getting achet. What's happening over there? Josie just pulled off her sweater. I'm drinking ginger tea and all of a sudden it's super hot. It just just makes you wild. It makes me crazy. I go off my nut. Let's play strip podcasting. Oh no, I see a trend. (laughs) Anytime someone says book, take off a layer of clothing.
1: (laughs) Hello and welcome to Fiction Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to books and book lovers like us. I'm Josephine Angelini. I'm Lauren Sanchez. I'm Alyssa Hilfinger. And I'm Aileen Calderon. We're four childhood friends from the suburbs of Massachusetts. We've always loved to read almost as much as we love to talk to each other. We started this podcast as a way to celebrate how a really good book can come into your life and change it. So if you're looking for fun and engaging conversations about books, stick around. This is Fiction Between Friends, and we're glad you've joined us. Welcome back. This is episode six, season one. I'm Josephine Angelini and joining me are my friends Aileen Calderon and Alyssa Hilfinger. Lauren is still out, but hopefully she will join us again next week. I also just wanted to take a moment and remind our listeners to please leave a brief review on Apple Podcasts when you get a chance. It would mean a lot to us. Doing so would help our podcast move up the ranks and allow for like-minded people to find our little book club. We would truly appreciate it. So how's everyone doing?
0: good. You've such a good announcer voice, Josie. I, I listen to your voice and I'm like, I need voice lessons. I want to talk like Josie, or I want you to read me books every night to, <laughs> right. me to sleep. I assume my voice might change. I know I talk really loudly on the phone because my husband's commented on that. Like I practically scream when I'm on the phone and it's not intentional. I'm not even aware of it, but yeah. And I think, I think some of it is like, i sound really old right now, not trusting the technology because we grew up with, you know, the phones that you would hold to your yeah. face and there'd be something right in front of your mouth that you would talk into. And I still, like I'll be wearing my earbuds and talking on the phone and it still seems amazing to me that it's actually capturing the sound of my voice and transmitting it to somebody because I still feel right. like I should have something in front of my
1: mouth. No, but we also went through the early days of cell phones where it was like every other second there was like a Bit, a bleep or a dead zone. Do you remember? Like, yeah, okay. The first cell me? phone are I got. There? Can you hear are you me? there? Are you there? Are you there? It was like you were, oh, and p- your calls would just get dropped out of nowhere. I mean, it doesn't happen anymore, but I still have that knee-jerk reaction if I'm talking on my phone, like my, I mean, I think we have a ground line here. I'm like, in theory, we have a phone somewhere in our house, but we both use our cell phones all the time. I don't know why we have it. I think it's like
0: I don't know. Like it, just, it, it came with the house, and you just kept it's like, it? it. It's like a museum piece. <laughs> right? we're,
1: we're hoping it's worth something someday. But no, it, like I'll, I'm still so used to being like, oh, are you there? Are you there? Uh, uh, did you drop me? De-? Because there's there are those dead zones still, but they're much less frequent. But there isn't the same. Like when you talked on an analog phone, it really was like somebody was sitting right next to you mm-hmm. when you were talking. There was no pause. There were never any breaks. And even n- no matter how good the technology gets now, there'll always be that delay because it has to go to a satellite and come back. You know? Right. So it's just it's just a different way of talking now and it's less organic.
0: I remember when, everybody, when text became a big thing and oh, yeah. I finally got a cell phone and I resisted texting for a while. And then obviously, like, that's what everyone does all the time now. And during the pandemic, like, I had so many texts going with so many friends because that was sort of my connection to the world. And I hit a point where I was like, I want to talk on the phone to someone and hear their voice. And I would actually, like, some people would be like, hello, why are you calling me? What's wrong? Are you okay?" What happened? It's like, it's the pandemic. It's making me do it. I just need to hear another person's voice. (laughs) I just need to, like, make that connection.
1: You remember having to re- rewind VHS tapes? Yes.
2: <laughs> well, and cassette <laughs> do you know, tapes. Do you remember oh, cassette, cassette signals? tapes?
0: Definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cassette signals. So, I used to get in trouble for that. We had one phone line at my house. Yeah. And, but then there was call waiting and it was magical because right? somebody would call. Your call would get interrupted. If it was for your mom or dad, you had to get off the phone. And I would ignore still, that sometimes. I mean, I, I still hate talking on the phone. It's fun. During the pandemic, you used I used to love it. You used oh to talk yes. on the phone
1: for hours.
0: Yes. When we were teenagers. Yeah. i would spent all night talking on the phone and then I became an adult and I just, it just makes me kind of like, it makes me uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Like I'm like, okay, I'm going to call the doctor. What am I going to Like kind of planning out what I'm going to say? <laughs> like stupid. And I'm like, this is dumb. I'm a grown up. I should be able to do this. And then when Zoom started when during the pandemic, that made me so uncomfortable cuz i've never been comfortable on video and so it was just weird talking to a computer and being able to see myself and feeling like people couldn't quite hear me cuz if you're on the, if you're on a zoom with multiple people and if you're having a few drinks and everyone's talking and you get like okay i'm just not going to say anything cuz everyone's trying to talk and no one can hear you like it just gets so frustrating but
2: yeah, yeah i don't like people <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to call you out, Alyssa, but. (laughs) So truthfully, I can I can be in an auditorium full of teenagers and I'm fine. They are my people. But parent night, I get the cold sweats. I have to control my teeth from chattering. Wow. It's I can feel myself racing, trying to get through everything that I need to say. And I don't know why. I don't know why. So Amy, what was your book about this week? I didn't. We we all
1: picked books. Um, actually, no, our uh-huh. books were chosen for us by Lauren because she couldn't be here. So she gave us suggestions as to what to read. And I have no idea what she suggested for you.
0: Um, She nailed it. I got to say, if, yeah. if you want to read a book, have Lauren the librarian recommend one for you because oh, she knows all so of good. us. Yeah. And she just so mine was erotic stories for Punjabi widows. Um, and I realized because she recommended it, I. I'm looking to see who wrote it because I have no idea who the author is. It's Bali Carr Joswell. I should have looked up how to pronounce that name because I think I probably butchered I it. I always
1: butcher it and I feel so terrible. But yeah, Yeah.
0: I mean, my name's Aileen. Everyone always gets it wrong. So I feel like <laughs> yep. I should get people's <laughs> names right. And I feel bad when I don't. Um, so it was great because it's a well-written book, but it's also really light and a quick read, which is exactly what I'm into these days. It's about um, the main character is this woman, Nikki, who lives in England, and she comes from a very conservative, traditional Indian family. Um, The father in the family dies. She, uh, before that, though, she is in law school, decides to drop out of law school, which is obviously not what anybody had envisioned for her. Um, Then the father dies and she just decides to go on her own way and she decides to move out of the house. She gets a job at a bar and is living above the bar, which obviously is not what her family had envisioned for her. Meanwhile, her sister is looking for dating services because she wants a traditional arranged marriage. Um, So it's very like East meets West and like, you know, this modern girl kind of rebelling against what her family wants. So, um nikki is trying to make ends meet she finds out that there. she's also really interested in reading and writing and she finds out that um there's this got an indian church that's looking for a teacher to help teach women how to write in english so she goes there to teach the class expecting you know it's going to be actually she expects it's going to be like a creative writing course she gets there and discovers it's all these widows their husbands have died. Most of them are older and they actually need to learn how to write. They have absolutely mm. no idea how to write. Like they've oh, wow. existed in London. They've been dependent on their husbands and have never learned how to write. And so Nikki's like, ah, oh, this is not what I signed up for. Um, turn of events, Nikki happens to have a book of erotic stories on her <laughs> one day in class. And one of the widows who knows how to read and write, finds the book and starts reading it aloud. So they think that's amazing. And they're like, oh, we can write this. You want erotica? (laughs) We've got erotica for you. So this class turns into this group of women writing erotic stories. And some of the, there are clips of these erotic stories in the book. And they're, yeah, they live up to the name.
1: (laughs)
2: They're very well
0: written. And then there's there's like a death or murder that sort of emerges that, that's sort of like a subplot throughout this. But it's really interesting because it makes you think about, I guess, perception versus reality, because these are kind of older forgotten women, you know, Mm. their their husbands are gone and now they're just kind of existing and no one takes them seriously. And they, you know, a lot of them don't have careers. And Nikki comes in and kind of channels their creativity and also just their stories and their experiences and it 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 sort of becomes something amazing because it becomes something that has to be kept secret because they don't the men can't hear about this and outsiders can't hear about it eventually it gets out and it gets to be very big and very popular but um it it, it made me think about getting older <laughs> and being an older woman and I mean a lot of these women are older than we are and I feel like everyone's so obsessed with youth that yeah. You know you get older you stop and, mattering exactly, and that's the way a lot of these women feel and you're you're reading these story these erotic stories these women have written and and it's like should we call it an eggplant? I mean it's big like an eggplant or is it more <laughs> like a banana you know they're like they're all these like graphic descriptions <laughs> and it's because even reading you're like, wait a minute, this is like a sixty year old Punjabi widow and she's talking about the size of this guy's cock what I don't, <laughs> But then you're like, but they're women. They have desires and wants, and you know they're they're not dead. Right. <laughs> this is still things that they that they talk about. Um, I I don't know if I ever would have picked it out for myself because it's such a an odd title, like erotic stories right. for for mm-hmm. widows. I'm like, I don't even know what. Why that do means. you think
2: Lauren picked it for you?
0: Oh boy, that's a big question.
2: <laughs> um, I think
0: because it's a story about women bonding and coming together. Um, so it, it, it's kind of very like uplifting, like everyone sort of learns a little bit about themselves and about other people. And it's also just, it, it's an easy read. It, it's well-written, but it's just like a, it's a fun, fast paced story, but it's still smart. And it's the kind, it's the kind of book that I like. So I really appreciate that Lauren picked it out for me. Is there a love story in it? Yes. Oh, of course. Yeah. There, there are actually a couple of love stories in it. Their oh, love is cool. woven throughout it, and like the, the erotic stories bring
2: couples together.
1: No, but do you like love stories? I've never really pictured you, reading uh, that many of them. No,
2: because Aileen growing up was like heavy metal and kind of the gore and horror. I would not peg Aileen as a romantic. Are we no. wrong?
0: You're 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 pretty right. Although my husband would laugh if he heard you say heavy metal because like he loves metallica and i'm like oh my god turn that off i hate it but this was <laughs> yeah. this was like love stories rooted in reality it was like real women dealing with real relationships and finding their way to love
2: i guess do you have do you two know the book uh is it robert munch i don't know if it is but the paper bag princess oh yeah the, it's a children's book why get it for a while it'll be yeah, fantastic okay. but the paper bag princess it, aileen is the paper bag princess
0: Oh, no, I have to read it. Wait, what does that
2: mean? So it's a children's book, and there is a castle, and Ronald, I believe, is the prince, and a dragon comes and burns down the princess's castle, and the princess is pissed because Ronald didn't try and save her, and the only thing (laughs) she has to wear is a paper bag, because that's the only thing that's left. So she puts on this paper bag, and she goes out to avenge her castle being burned down, and she finds the dragon. And she tricks the dragon into losing a, a bet or a challenge or I forget exactly what. And then finally, she comes to Ronald and she was like, I don't need you. <laughs> like, we're, we're done. <laughs> That's my kind of love story. Um, yes. <laughs> but she it was, is like, a children's book.
0: It is? Oh, OK. I'll have to read. Yeah, and this one, I will say, Nikki, the main character in this, she meets someone and is very skeptical of him. And at one point, he pisses her off and she's like, yeah, I'm done with you. Like, like she just doesn't, you know, I I like that she, she's her own person. She defies her family and her culture to do what she thinks is right and what to kind of follow her own path, which
1: I respect and appreciate. What was the thing about the book that you liked the most? Like what, what struck you the most? Was there ever a moment where you were reading and you went, wow, that's different. And I really like one of those shining moments in a book where you're like, mm-hmm. I know, or,
0: I mean, I just, I really enjoyed the whole book. It really, it was, it was just thinking that these older Indian women who have all of these stereotypes around them and you make assumptions about who they are. And then all of a sudden they became these incredibly funny, interesting characters. And I was like, oh God, I have these biases too. I'm like, I'm Mm -hmm. just like these like men in, in this book. And it was, it was just, I don't know, it makes you realize how much you just automatically stereotype type people and think of them as a certain way and about how just the complexity of people and everyone Mm -hmm. is so much more than they appear. You need to take time to get to know people and talk to them and understand what they come from. And there's one woman in it who she's she's kind of a bitch. She's just really mean to everyone (laughs) all the time and people are scared (laughs) of her. But then you find out her backstory and her daughter died and like she's been through a lot and there's just so much more to her. It's just, she puts up this armor around her, and mm-hmm. no one has bothered to go beyond that. And once they do, you you sort of start to understand why the, she is the way she is, and there are reasons for her being awful to people. they you mm-hmm. know not that it excuses it, but you know there's more to everyone. So mm-hmm. it was just yeah, it was a really interesting book. I think anytime I can read a book that's not about white people, it's great because yeah, you know yeah. I. I've read a lot of books about white people growing up. So <laughs> like, like I'm almost a little, a little hesitant talking about it because I'm like, I don't want to like, Punjab. Like, I don't want to say the wrong thing describing this culture that's not familiar right. to me. I want to show it respect and make sure I'm not, you know, saying something stupid because it's so hard to speak these days. Okay. I was actually having this discussion with some people in my family about just language and how you have to be so careful with what you say because everyone's trying to be so politically correct all the time and you don't want to offend anyone ever you don't want to get canceled and it may, and language is so important it's very powerful like the mm-hmm. the words that you use really mm-hmm. matter but it also gets kind of stressful sometimes mm-hmm. you, know, you have to worry about every word that comes out of your mouth you're like wait is that what we're calling it now i don't know i
1: forget I, I get really, I get really funny around the pronoun thing. I'm always like, "Oh God, I don't know what I should call you, ma'am," or "I don't know," and like, <laughs> I I don't want to assume, but we all do, and I and I, then I don't want to offend you by assuming the wrong thing, and I get really, I get really tangled up on mm-hmm. that one.
0: Well, because it's also, it's, I think we've talked about this before, everything's become so black and white and there's no forgiveness, you know, like you should, Mm -hmm. you should know all the new rules as they develop. You should not mess up at any point. If you do, you're a bad person. And that's not good either because we should all feel comfortable making, to make, making mistakes. You know, it's okay to make mistakes. If if you have good intentions, it's okay to slip up or screw up or to not know something because there's so much to know now, you know, like people, there's so much more to people, like people's sexualities and gender identity and all of that. Like it used to be very
2: black and white and now there's this whole spectrum and it's it can be hard to keep up with it. Right. Well, I mean, and and I know what you're saying and, and the underlying information behind what you're saying is it was expressed as black and white. And now we're yeah. able to yeah. express yeah. a much more, a much broader spectrum. And, mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the confusion is, um, is just it is so different there's oh it's the gender unicorn that could be there used to be the the gender gingerbread person and now i think if you look up the gender unicorn it breaks everything down in terms of what is um vocabulary around sexuality what is vocabulary around gender and pronouns and it's it's very interesting I recommend it. I'll I'll check it out. I'll see if I can find it. Because you you never know that
1: individual, how that individual wants to be addressed.
0: Yeah. And it is true. We used to have a really simplistic view of what it meant to be a person, you know, what it meant to be male, what it meant to be female. Like it was just, it was way oversimplified. And now it's like, of course, people aren't that simple. There's so much more to everyone. So,
2: okay, Elite, I have a question for you. Um, As the master of, let's see, so many things. marketing, raunch. Um, <laughs> were there any uh, interesting euphemisms? You mentioned a few at Plants and Bananas. Was was there anything <laughs> in this book in particular yeah. that made Aileen Calderon? I can't think of specific. There was a lot
0: of discussion about the best way to describe a penis. Like, that wait, they kept using one vegetable term that I was like, what is that? I'm not even entirely sure, but they discussed it a lot. May, some is of the there stories are pretty vegetable. Rigid.
2: That maybe is
0: Wait, more adept at. I, I, I should have. I should have marked it. But there was like there were lots of like it was funny at times too because they were so intent on describing it just the right way. Like, <laughs> but it was a little thicker and not as skinny and like we like. And the, and the erotic stories were were well written. Like they're pretty. Some of them are pretty risque, which was interesting because you're reading this book that you're like, okay, I get it, and all of a sudden it's like. They're just nailing each other at the kitchen table, <laughs> or whatever is going on. Like his his pulsing eggplant is in her white her wet oasis.
2: Oh, <laughs> oh no! Gross. It's better
0: written than that. I'm just very much oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, oasis. Oh, oh my
1: god!
0: Oh, it's warm oh, it's in here. A hot flash. Alyssa, <laughs> well, you're going to be taking off your sweater next. Oh yes, I am. <laughs> um, so here's part of one of the stories. His throbbing organ was the color and size of an aubergine. And sh- as she gripped it with her hands and guided it towards her mouth, he became so excited that his knees began to shake.
2: <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that.
0: It's, I, it's like trashy supermarket mar- porn. I love it. It's great. It.
2: Uh, That's awesome. Excellent. So, uh, <laughs> Alyssa,
1: Alyssa, what did Lauren suggest for you this week?
2: Lauren suggested for me a book it's actually a series by deborah harkness and it's the Mm -hmm. all souls trilogy and originally she had suggested what came to mind is she said the book of life and so i got that and i started looking at it and i'm trying to read it and i'm very confused and i thought no if if lauren recommended this i will be able to figure it out and then i thought (laughs) oh well, this is book three of the trilogy. So she's speaking to me with my reading backwards. (laughs) (laughs) So if I read the third book before... So I then (laughs) happened to casually say to Lauren, like, hey, I'm really liking this book. I'm I'm having a hard time understanding um, some of the characters. I feel like I'm missing something. And Lauren said, oh, yeah, you need to start with the first book. So... So, a discovery of witches is the first book, yes. and there is a series. They're about to start season three. Uh, I forget what channel, um, but this has been out for a while. So, I'm not quite sure about spoilers because there's a TV show. This book has been. Out. I'll try to be careful yeah. with what I say. Okay, but I think it's it's been out for over a decade. Yeah, now. I know that. So, <laughs> it's go <laughs> ahead.
1: It's, yeah, Real layers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I actually have two parts of this that I'm really excited about, and one is the author herself, and then there's the book. Do you have a particular not which which one you Give want me us to the go?
1: Background. I want to hear about the author
2: first, so that we can set it up for the book. Okay, Deborah Harkness is awesome. She is who I want to be in another life. <laughs> so, Laura, Laura nailed it again. I. I I'm obsessed just with the woman and then her books. Okay, so Deborah Harkness, she's an academic. And her her, um, bachelor's degree was from Mount Holyoke. I don't know where she is originally, but Mount Holyoke and then Northwestern and then UC Davis. And for her doctoral degree, oh my gosh, she researched the history of magic and science in Europe especially during the period from 1500 to 1700. And she lists all of these different libraries in Europe that she was, um, has done research in. And she calls herself, what, an expert on, or an enthusiast of wine, science, the history of science, um, and the, the coincidence of magic in science, especially during the Enlightenment. Plus, she taught medical history for a while at Northwestern, the history of science and medicine at UC Davis, and paleo, paleography at the Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies at Oxford. I want to have dinner with this woman and just let her tell me everything. And all of this gets dumped into her books. I I mean, the characters it starts in a library. It isn't the opening well, of it. Is yeah. she's going to the library? Yeah. Yeah. And her, her main character, Diana is a, a woman who is studying alchemy and science and the development of, you know, science history and the confluence of the development of magic and science. And, and, and then the other character, Matthew is one of the aspects of his personality is how much he loves wine And so all of these little gems from uh, Miss Harkness show up in the book and her characters. (laughs) And it is so fun. And a lot of it takes place, one of the towns is just outside of Syracuse. And so there's a whole bunch of things taking place in Madison, New York, right outside of Syracuse. And they're talking, so I went to school at Syracuse. My husband is from the greater Syracuse area. So I'm reading all about that. And I'm like, well, I know that town. I know that newspaper. I, I know that road. And then the other parts of it are because it's a discovery of witches. So there's a whole lot about Massachusetts, really. Salem and the witch trials and, and all of that history that, I don't know, maybe it's not just us. Um, but I feel like we've had more of a connection to it because it's local-ish. Mm-hmm. You know, So we're like, oh, yeah, Salem. We know that. That's cool. Plymouth Plantation (laughs) she talks about how Diana grew up working on Plymouth Plantation as a kid do you remember going do you remember how they used to
1: take us there every
2: year it was the third grade the third grade field trip Ella went third third grade grade there was a rock right (laughs) there was a rock and then there was the plantation right Right. (laughs) so um, a discovery of witches it I have all these little like earmarks in the in the bu- I don't know if you can see them in the book. And then I have my mm-hmm. little sticky notes. And I almost don't even quite remember what all the different things were. I'll give you a, um, a synopsis. So Diana is doing research. And she's trying to prepare for a big conference where she's going to be giving an address on something related to alchemy and the development of the Philosopher's Stone and she studies illustrations, uh, largely illustrations, in the symbolic representation that the pictures have connected to elements and minerals and different earth, wind, fire, um, mm-hmm. water. And so she's constantly calling up all of these archived, very old, she refers to them as manuscripts, and she puts in an order. And she's at the library at Oxford and this book comes up and she looks at it and it's very odd and it's very old and she can't open it. Uh, like she tries to open it and, it and it's exuding this essence that she can't quite put her fingers on. And she has the book in front of her and she kind of settles herself and takes a breath and just lays her palm on the book. And then she feels a shift and she's able to open the book and she's looking at it and she notices that three pages from the very front have been cut out very neatly with a straight edge. And she starts looking through the book and makes some notes and then she returns it. And goes about her business. And that's before you know anything, you know, sort of particular. But there's nothing special. She's just a researcher. But then, I'm trying to find the line. She's walking through the library and, you know, she's noticing all these other people. And she refers to feeling um, the look from this other woman. And she felt the tingle go up her spine. And she said, but that's always what one witch feels when another witch looks at her. And that's the first inclination that you're like, oh, oh, she's a witch. And, and there's other witches here. Okay. So then she goes back to the library. And a couple of days later, she thinks she's by herself, but she's not. And she uses some magic, which she never does. She refuses to acknowledge that she's a witch. And the story unfolds. Part of this is understanding her background and who she is, where she came from. Her parents died when she was young. She lives with her aunt. And she really has never wanted to use her magic. But instead of trying to climb up this big ladder to get this book, she used her magic and the the book comes down, falls into her hand. And then she realizes, because she feels icy patches boring into her shoulder blades, which is the feel when a vampire is looking at you. She turns around and realizes that Matthew de Clermont is looking at her. And that's when they first meet. And so the whole book is about the two of them getting to know each other, she's actually in grave danger because of this book, this manuscript that she called up that she at first couldn't open, but then it opened for her. And then she realized the pages were missing and she sent the book back, not realizing that for the past, I don't know, 1200 years, every different creature, and there are four different creatures in this world. There's humans, there's vampires, there's witches, and there's demons. And all the creatures are trying to get a hold of this book because they think it, it documents the history of where they all came from. And so as the story unfolds, it's a love story between Diana and Matthew who are never supposed to be together and her trying to stay safe as different creatures are trying to find her and her discovering the depth of her witchness and her powers, and why she can't access them as easily as other witches can. And so that's book one. And it's a hot, love story. It is. So she Diana ends up needing to go to a safe place. And that safe place is Matthew's home, where his mother lives, his vampire mother. And one of the things that is really nice about this story is it becomes a story of acceptance. Because these four different creatures are not supposed to interact. They're not friends. They certainly cannot have any type of um, romantic relationship. They're, I mean, they're not even supposed to be gathering in the same social settings uh, in a meaningful way. And so when Matthew brings Diana home, his mother at first is like, uh-uh, no way, no how. And then, as Matthew and Diana's connection becomes more and more necessary to the survival of of everybody, the, the mother becomes very accepting of her, and it's it's really mm-hmm. nice. But one of the things I I laughed at was Diana needed to sit, and the mother she convinced me to sit, though the chair's carving had clearly been designed to acquaint its occupants with the discomforts of hell. <laughs> I just, so like, like constantly the mother was like accepting her, but then also torturing her at the same time, which I just thought that was funny. (laughs) Very appropriate. Yeah. Um, all right. And then I think the last, I, I've finished the book, but I haven't really finished the book because. I definitely did, read the last several chapters. So I started the book and then I jumped to backwards. the back. Wait, did yeah, you so you started read, the book, then you read the back? Wait, so you, you did read it
0: backwards in typical not, Alyssa. Fashion. Not the
2: entire way. I started the first several chapters and then I was like, wait, I need to know what we're gonna be dealing with at the end.
0: <laughs> Even <laughs> though someone you trusted had recommended it for you,
2: yes, you because stop reading your books backwards. No, i realized it's weird. Yeah. I find that it adds to the story though because I <laughs> I want to know how you get from A to Z. Now that I know Z is there, I feel like I can pay more attention and pick up on more details and some of the foreshadowing or little you know hints that are put in. I know it's weird, horrible. but I find it <laughs>
0: enjoyable. Wait, do you remember so, do you remember choose your your own adventure books? Maybe yes. they're still out there those were made for you. They really were. You get
1: to decide what happens next.
0: (laughs) Those are always pretty brilliant, but
2: those were were written for Alyssa. Yes.
1: But Alyssa, so you read the first few chapters, then you went and you read
2: the last two or the last one? I don't know. I just started reading and then I kept going backwards more and more. Um, And so you read the book completely out of order. And then I kept going and I read the first probably three quarters. It's also a really big book. It's almost awesome. 600 pages and I just got the book on Monday because I had tried reading the third book and that didn't go well. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <laughs> read the <it's>, series backwards. <laughs> and it's it's really difficult to find time to read. I I think I might need to switch although
0: I don't know if I can
2: to audio books so that as yeah. I'm doing stuff around the house or taking the dog for a walk or going grocery shopping I can be listening to a book because otherwise Especially with this being the holiday week, and we hosted. We I know. I,
0: I, I was thinking about that when I was driving four hours to Massachusetts, and I was like, I should be listening to a book. And I've never done an audio book right. either. I worry yeah. that it won't stick in my head, but I've also gotten into listening to podcasts, and those usually stay mm-hmm. with me. So,
1: yeah. But can there's you say something- read a book
2: if you listen to it. I think you can. It's it's a matter of yeah. experiencing the story, but Ooh, there are yeah. definitely. Th- things that a book can do for you when you see a word printed and you you have to work to pronounce that word. You know, you have the to roll the letters the around.
1: Into your head. Yeah. yeah. It's like in the way that words lay on a page, you know, writers spend some time thinking about that, how they break up their chapters, how they break up their paragraphs. Like the way it lays on the page is actually kind of important to us. Sometimes mm-hmm. for certain things.
2: Well, I remember in... What In Twilight, in one of the books, when Edward goes away and and Bella is just there and she's numb and time is Mm -hmm. passing and the way- Oh, New Moon and New Moon. Yes. And the way that that was expressed, written, was just in the middle of the chapter, there was one page and on it, it said September. And then you turn the page and it says October. And then you turn Mm -hmm. the page and there's just these names of months on the page and you just See that, and it has it evokes emotion based on the visual impact of just the single word hmm. and time passing and just nothingness. And I don't, I, yeah, you know, you could say those words in an audiobook, but I don't know that it would have the same gravitas or like in As I Lay Dying, where um there's a whole chapter that's just my mother is a
1: fish. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah, I always remembered that. I was always J- like, damn, that's. Good. Yeah, (laughs) Josie, you have one person who reads all of your books of my Starcross books, Um, Davian, and it was really weird. Um, I got so lucky that my publisher sent me three voices to listen to, just reading a few, a set lines that they gave them, and I was like, I don't know what it is about number three. I just really there's something about her voice that calls to me. Turns out I went to NYU with her. I knew her really well. (laughs) Like, yeah, Devin and I knew each other really well. And she was always so talented. And what a great actress. And like, I just always admired her. And I loved watching her work. And it was just hilarious when the name came back. They were like, okay, you've picked Devin Subari. And normally you don't get a choice as to who reads your books. I had a different reader and a wonderful one for um, Trial by Fire and all that stuff. But um, I loved the, her voice, I love the sound of it. I was like, I feel like I know her. And I was like, dang it, I do. <laughs> you do. It was so funny. So she did the first three and hopefully she'll do the last books in the series for That's me too, so funny. Five, six and seven. Would you ever read
0: one of your books?
1: I, you know, Is I've the been idea? talking about it. So, for Sungrazer, one of the books that we want to put out, I'd never do it for my Star Cross books. Like, I want Devin, I want like a trained actor reading. I mean, she's just so good. I mean, you
0: are involved. a trained actor, right?
1: That's
2: true. Well, no. Okay, you let, let me put it this way.
0: I went to school for it. But you by the time you started every junior. high school play, you went to college <laughs> well,
1: for it. I, mean, I went to college for it. And by my sh- junior year, I was like, well, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> What? I mean, well, and honestly, I had directors who literally, they were like, you're a hard worker, but you know, you're a writer, right? I'll never forget it. Louis Sheeter. He like, he pulled me, aside, he was my Shakespeare te- um director. He pulled me aside. He was like, you know, you're a writer, right? And I was like, yeah, I know. Don't tell anyone <laughs> because I got the Tisch scholarship and I'm afraid they're going to take it away from me and what, send me home. What if I <laughs> What was it that didn't made him like think it. you were a writer? I was always right. And I would sit, you know, I watch this. So there's always like scene study classes and I'd watch people working and the questions that I would ask and the way that I would pull apart the scene is very much the way a writer goes about pulling apart the action and the character arcs and all that stuff. And so he was just like, you know, you just, you think like a writer. And I always, I was always writing in between classes. Like I was always writing down ideas or things or snippets, stuff that I'd seen. And, um, yeah, and I was like, "Don't!" And one night, it like, <laughs> he was just like, "You." He, he's like, "You're you're a writer. You really need to do that." I was like, "That it scared the crap out of me." I was so terrified to to start writing. I was terrified to be a writer. What? But, you know, I had a girlfriend of mine, my friend Liz York. She's actually out here in LA. She said, "The thing that you love the most is the source of your greatest fear, just like in everything that you do in your life." And if it's something that you truly love, it's going to scare the shit out of you. And that's exactly why you have to do it. And that's when I was like, fuck, I guess I got to be a writer Mm. now.
2: (laughs) So uh, a quick juxtaposition here. As Josie is walking around in between classes with a notebook and I picture, you know, sweet, fashionable, beautiful Josie frolicking around (laughs) the streets of New York City, you know, jotting down ideas in her notebook and wandering, you know. Around and looking up at the sky, daydreaming. Um, I was carrying around my dead wet cat uh, from my anatomy class <laughs> to my dorm. Wait, what? An well, actual dead cat? Oh yeah, because my comparative anatomy class, we had to dissect a cat. Oh, and so, oh my God, I would the cat would come back and forth with me to and from. And <laughs> did, you, did you name it? Well, it was dead wet cat. <laughs> dead wet cat. <laughs> It was the fattest cat. I gave it a nose ring and some earrings. You-, <laughs> <laughs> you pierced your dead cat? I did. I was respecting him. Alyssa. <laughs> no, he was loved. He also was so fat that he, he had been shot with a BB in his hindquarters. And the, the layer of fat was so thick that it never penetrated muscle and it just healed over. My cat, oh my Josie, you could write so many amazing <laughs> stories about my dead, wet cat and his little <laughs> farm adventures. And then what did you carry your dead, wet dead, cat, wet around cat, cat was carried around in the medical grade bags. They were clear though. <laughs> they, were clear. They, were clear? they were clear. Yeah. yeah. So people so could you see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: So people thought you were a weirdo or they're like, oh, she's not
2: either. People definitely thought I was a weirdo. And (laughs) I also but I wasn't the only (laughs) one. I had a really good friend, Bob, who actually is living my my alternate dream life. He is uh, works at the Albany Museum of Natural History um, in the as a paleontologist. But he he and I would carry around our dead wet cats together. So you dated a
0: lot in college.
2: I said, <laughs> that's right. what I'm thinking. Could you imagine a guy being like, and that's my girlfriend right over there? <laughs> the one with the dead cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't date a lot. No.
1: <laughs> oh, good Lord. Okay.
2: So back so, to books.
1: Back to books. Okay. So Lauren officially with me hit it out of the park. Like this. So she recommended anything by Naomi Novak. I read A Deadly Education, which came out two years ago. And then I read the second book in that same series um, Mm -hmm. right after it. And then, of course, I had to read another book by her called Uprooted, which I'm rereading. I've read every single one of these books twice Mm -hmm. over the past two weeks. Like, oh, my gosh, I cannot. How much time do you spend reading every day, Josie? I know. I really, if I'm, you know, I really should be writing (laughs) more. And I'm not
2: occupational <laughs> hazard.
1: <laughs> I am not writing as much as I should be. And I really need to finish this book. But um, I've just really been reading her stuff over and over. OK, so the second times that I've been reading it, I've been skimming. But I can't tell you how good these books are. I seriously, it's one of those things where I can't even be jealous Because I'm just so happy that these books are in the world and I get to read them that I can't even. What are they about? Okay. Oh, my God. Yes, here we go. A Deadly Education. It's about a school for wizards. And that's where all comparison to Hogwarts ends. Like, this is not Hogwarts. It's set in modern times and magical kids go to this place called the Scolomance. And because as soon as they get, as they hit puberty, their mana, which is their magical stuff, is sort of like connected to your life force and all these mysterious and shady ways. But she definitely has a system for it. Um, their mana starts to blossom when they hit puberty. And all of these things called malls, the maleficaria. Uh, They're magical creatures, but they're like these twisted magical creatures. It's not like beautiful dragons and unicorns. It's like these really shady, creepy creatures. A lot of them have been created by wizards themselves. And they're hunting for the mana, like that source. And the malls hunt magical people, and they go through kids going through puberty because they are having this surge of mana, and also they don't have enough magic to really defend themselves they don't know enough. So full grown wizards are sort of like really hard to kill. But these kids are, they're described as being like, you know, like basically candy with Mm -hmm. a soft sugar shell on the outside that's (laughs) easy to get at. So and her writing in this, it's just so funny too. She's funny girl. Ah, she's funny. And she's clever. So good. So the school events was built to protect them. And it, but it kind of turned into this killing ground too. So all the malls, like, the way the school of ments is built is that a space is made in the void. So it's outside of the real world. And the only place where it touches, like this tiny little, like a
2: sphincter, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this tiny little space where it connects into this world and surrounded by the void, malls can't get in. The maleficaria can't get in where the void is. They can only get through this one little door. But the door is protected by all these magical wards and like spells. And so there's a, this huge door that protects it. And then There's the graduation hall, which is like the hall that's right in front of it. And then there are all these little pipes and stuff that lead up into the actual Skolomance. And kids are sort of like teleported right in. They stay for four years. You don't leave. There's no teachers there, no parents. And if you survive, you have to get through the graduation hall, which is where all the malls build up. So like in the Skolomance, only one out of four kids actually makes it through the graduation gates like over the course of their time there they're either eaten by malls that manage to like squeeze through these little pipes or cracks and they like get in cuz they you know sugar coating they want that sugar coating <laughs> <laughs> they're going for it so the like the work comes in front of you and the class the class works really hard too like you have to learn multiple languages you have to learn how to cast spells there's alchemy track there's all this stuff that's and it's hard and it's competitive so the graduation is the worst and everybody's sort of like leading up to get through the graduation hall. And that's if you survive just lunch and cafeteria, because even the food sometimes sometimes comes out with like poison in it and spells and the like kids just die sitting down to lunch. It's not Lord of the Flies, it, but it does bring out this like what's in it for me. And like all these kids, there's a weight limit for how much can be brought in. So you can only come in with like the clothes on your back and like a few things in a bag and that's it. And you've got four years there. So there's this massive like trading system and kids are always like, what can I get out of it? And they have to do it because if you do a bad trade, you could die. Like you won't have the spell that you need to save yourself from a mall or you won't have shoes and you won't be able to run away when they come after you. The place is brutal. And inside the skull, Skolamance, but it's not written like it's brutal. Her tone is much lighter than that. And she's got a much lighter touch. And it's yeah. not sad, although it yeah. is, you feel this competition, this constant competition, this constant pressure. If I don't succeed, I'll die. Who is the main character? Like whose perspective? Is the main the character, girl? her name's Galadriel. Okay. And she hates her mother for <laughs> naming her Galadriel. <laughs> she's
2: like, but her mom is
1: like this hippie loving, lives in a yurt. She's like, give away my magic for free. She never asks for anything from anyone. She's like the exact opposite of like a practical witch. She's just sort of like this, she's very loving and giving and she'll heal anyone and she'll help anyone. So there's this setup where they're basically the haves and the have-nots. The haves are enclave kids, kids who've grown up in spaces like the Skolomance where A group of wizards, usually wealthy ones or powerful ones, have sort of pushed out into the void and built these cities, like entire cities with monorails and skyscrapers. And the kids who come from these places, everybody wants to be in an enclave. Everybody wants that protection because there are all of these indie kids, kids whose families don't belong inside an enclave. And their parents are more like the gardeners and the maids. And they, they'll like work for people who live in the enclaves. They don't have that safety. They, they don't have that protection of being away from the maleficaria. So all of these kids, while they're at the school events, they're trying to make alliances with enclave kids to like score themselves a seat or score themselves an interview, something, anything, so that they'll be safe from the malls once they get out, if they get out. And what was so well done in these books is that there's no preaching, there's no finger shaking, there's no like you should be this way or understand what you've done to me, or you've taken advantage of my, of people, you know, you're rich, you're white, you're privileged. It doesn't really, how do I put it? Let me just, let me just read this one excerpt to you. It's written first person from Galadriel's point of view. And she says, but why should they do anything else? They don't have any reason to care about us. She's talking about the parents and the enclaves We're not their children. We're the other gazelles, all of us trying to outrun the same pack of lions. And if we happen to be faster than their children, more powerful, their children will get eaten. If not well we're in ho- here in the skullments, when we get out and we decide that we want some of the luxury they have tucked into those enclaves for ourselves. If we're too strong, we might even threaten their own lives. so they shouldn't care about us. Not until we sign on the dotted line, which you sign these agreements to protect the kid. And get them out during graduation. That's only sensible. You can't blame people for wanting their own kids to live. I understand it every last bit of mm. it. And she's like one of the girls who's on the outside. She's like an indie kid and she's also a Desi girl. And this is like another aspect that comes into it. She talks a little bit about like she has to go through these dual levels of understanding. Like when she was younger growing up in England, one girl said that her skin was the color of weak tea and made her feel bad about it. And so she was just starting to understand that there was something wrong with her or that other like white kids thought there was something wrong with her because she was biracial. And she's also got to go through this other thing where, you know, now she goes to the Scholomance and since she's an indie kid and she doesn't belong to an enclave. And on top of that, she's really unlikable. Like, so everyone thinks that, yeah, she's like really harsh. She's a really abrupt. She's, like, there's, you, like there's you something as, creepy about her. Like, you as the reader don't like No, her, you, as you... Her. you as the reader lover. You as the reader lover so other characters don't like her there's something super creepy about her and what's super creepy about her is that she's she, and she knows this she's destined to be this dark sorceress who destroys the world if she starts using this particular brand of evil magic It's like if she goes to the dark side and she uses uses malia instead of mana so mana is the energy the life the magical force that you get by like doing push-ups or crochet that really annoys you or like and then there's malia which is ill-gotten so it's like if you kill a hamster. It's, you can <laughs> take out its Somalia and like, Luckily, you can take out its life force. typically and, die on their own. <laughs> and, I know, but this is like on purpose, so years. you have to like do something evil. And so she's like this very unsettling woman, and she's beautiful, but she's beautiful the way a dark goddess would be beautiful. Everybody's a little creeped out by her, and she does have this power. And her problem is that she can't do these little spells. She can only do... So if you ask the Skolomance, like, I need a spell to clean my room. It'll give you A spell book, like a spell book, will fall out of the void, and you have to read all of the spells to get to the one that you want, or else you you know you got to basically read the whole book. And the spells that she gets are, oh, if you want to clean your room, here's mortal fire; it will destroy everything (laughs) with it, like on the. And she's like, "No, I want to clean my room. I don't want to wipe out everyone on my floor." And like, so those are that's her problem. So the book is basically about her and Orion Lake. Orion Lake is, he's an Enclave boy, but his—the what's different about him is he's the only wizard who can get mana out of killing the Maleficaria. So if he kills a monster, he gets their mana and he can put it into a pool and like that the Enclave can share. So they have more and more magic and they have more power, but he's just in it to kill all the Maleficaria. So he's this huge hero who saved literally like, hun- like 600 kids by the time they're juniors in high school. He's saved her life, twice, and it pisses her off. Yes. <laughs> this is how the book starts. I decided that Orion needed to die after the second time he saved my life. <laughs> <Do you laughs> okay? That's okay. line of the book, <laughs> and it's because the second time he saves her life, there's a soul leader that's climbing into her room, and she's working at her desk, and the door's behind her, and it climbs into her room. He busts into her room, kills the soul leader before she has a chance to do it herself or even try herself. The only way that she's going to make a graduation alliance is if she proves to everyone that she's got like hella magic. But she can't do that. She can't prove how great, big, and terrible her magic can be because she can't go and kill another student. And all that she has are these like, yes, you shall destroy multitudes like with a wave of your hand. Like that's the kind of spell that she gets. So she could destroy a multitude of like maleficaria or students. And she doesn't want to kill the students to prove that she can do it. So every time she tries to like prove that she's powerful and that she's worth being part of one of these alliances that it's going to help her survive and get out the gates friggin orion lake comes leaping in and kills it before she can get around to doing it and he's basically screwing up her life so after this like and she's does this whole thing with him it's hilarious because she does this whole thing with him she's like oh thank you thank you so much for saving my life again mm. and he's like wait what like he's never had anyone he's like the anti prince charming yeah and he's actually kind of really socially awkward too he's like a, a maleficaria geek it's so super cute i love these two characters it it starts off with him sort of like following her around because first she's weird and then he kind of thinks oh she's got to be a maleficer which is one of the bad witches or wizards who use um malia which is like You have to kill something to get that power. So he thinks that she's a maleficer, but she only uses mana. Like she never would ever do that or she'd be horrible. And so he starts sitting with her at lunch and stuff and following her around and walking with her places. And like, everybody's like, what the hell? He's like the most popular. And she's like the scariest girl. And she's never had a friend in all of these years. And all of a sudden people are like, trying to sit at the same table with them because if you sit near orion lake you're probably not going to get eaten by anything and she's like trying to figure out how to like trade on this like how am i going to get some power out of this and it's really well done in that she's like they're not dating but everyone thinks that they're dating the character herself is unintentionally funny it's all written first person and she's just like awesome she's very prickly and dry but the moments where she is emotional, it's very true. It's like she allows the depth and the vulnerability to come out too. And that's such a hard line to walk. Um, I can't say enough good things about it because for me, it was sort of like, it's creative, it's original, it's like the anti-Hogwarts. It's a great idea. It's unique in its own way, even though we've seen like the magical school thing a bunch of times and it's done in such a different way and it's done with such social conscience
0: that's such a hard thing to do too like creating this world writing this work of fiction but having a moral in it that's relatable to people and relevant to the world that you're living in Mm -hmm. i mean and to not have it sound preachy and not have people be turned off by it but just having it naturally woven into the story like that seems really difficult to do
1: and that's fantasy or storytelling at its best where it sh- holds up a mirror to the world and it says, "I'm not judging you. I'm not telling you you. Sh- I'm just saying this is the way it is." And have one of your characters say, "I'm going to try something different." You know, was wonderful, just wonderfully written. I would recommend it to anyone, even people who don't like fantasy. I, Aileen, I actually think that you would I was like. A say w maybe I'll read it. You're yeah. kind of convincing me. Anyway, all right, I'm going to shut up <laughs> about all of my hero worship for Naomi Novik. <laughs> so, Aileen. Yes. Give me your final thoughts on your aubergines and your (laughs) horny (laughs) Punjabi. No, wait a minute. (laughs) If you're
0: horny and you like good writing, this is the book for you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, kind of. It's if you want a glimpse into a different culture and if you want to, I don't know, Have it's lighthearted, but it really makes you kind of think about the own judgments you make on people and how different people are from what they appear. And there's also a little murder mystery thrown in there. There's some erotica. I mean, there's there's something for everyone. So that's erotic stories for Punjabi women. Can you, what was her name again? So it's erotic stories for Punjabi widows by Bali Kar Joswal. Jaswal
1: Cool. Nice. Awesome. And Alyssa,
2: I read book one, A Discovery of Witches in a Trilogy by Deborah Harkness. And I really like that. Book one is all about character development, and you really become connected to the character of Diana and Matthew. And I guess the theme is groups of creatures and how, even though they are very different and they have all these assumptions about each other, that they need to overcome these assumptions and and work together. And, you know, these these boundaries that have been placed on them through stories throughout time just aren't real. And the separation of the creatures is something that doesn't have to be sustained. And that really wonderful relationships can happen between the creatures. And that's where I think the the series is headed. I don't know. I'm on book one. <laughs> <laughs> and I
1: read A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik. And my takeaway from this is that it's uh, brilliantly written, great characters, Um a a unique world with it's a very complicated but fascinating magical system that is all very well explained throughout all of it and it has a lot of commentary about social justice and about privilege and it's commentary that is relatable and accessible to everyone so it's not there's no judgment in this book it just feels very natural and i thought it was
2: fantastic. Lauren did a
1: great job. Lauren nailed it. Lauren is amazing. Well, that was awesome. Thank you guys so much. That was so much fun to read and reread and reread and so much fun to talk about.
2: Sweet dreams of throbbing aubergines (laughs) (laughs) uh, and dead cats and children. (laughs) I know I wonder this would be a really interesting set of keywords for this episode. (laughs) Those will
1: not be the keywords. I can tell you that much. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to stop recording now. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see everyone next week. Next week. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Fiction Between Friends. To find the show notes for this episode or to subscribe and get new episodes delivered automatically, visit FictionBetweenFriends.com. Also, if you happen to have a moment and you've liked what you've heard, please help support our podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. We would be immensely grateful. Thank you for listening.